there's been such a growth in recent years of women being like, no, we're fucking done. <laughs> like, we're yeah. done with this bullshit. And I think it's getting easier for women to stand up against the patriarchy as a whole. And that doesn't mean that women hate men. It's just that this system has negatively impacted everybody. You're listening to This Polyamorous Life, collecting stories of the struggles and triumphs of non-monogamous people wherever I find them. I'm Reg, and this week I'm playing you a talk I had with my old friend Charity. Charity worked as a social worker in Sarnia, helping women leave abusive relationships. But it wasn't until she moved to another continent that she realized how toxic her own relationship situation was. practice polyamory what does polyamory mean to you in this instance oh it means the ability to have relationships out so within monogamy you have your pre like your within monogamy you've got your one person and you're only really allowed to have your one person they're supposed to fill all of your needs for me polyamory is the ability to have multiple people in my life to fulfill whatever needs and whatever desires whatever really however that relationship is going to be that's how that relationship is going to be mm-hmm. that sounds that sounds like a really good thing I think so <laughs> I mean I like it <laughs> yeah um, cool so how did you decide on polyamory as as a way to go I knew that I was going to be non-monogamous when I was like 19, 18, 19, 20 area because I was kinky and within the kink world, um, you play with different people and you have different relationships built around play. And at that point in time, I was entering into a very specific BDSM 24-7 relationship, which involved multiple people. And we didn't necessarily call it poly at the time because I don't know that we had the word poly yet, but it would have been a form of non-monogamy. I don't know that it was necessarily poly. It's a weird time. But now I fully yeah. really identify as polyamorous because of being bisexual, because of being kinky. It allows me to have the different relationships that I want. And since learning more about the word polyamory many years ago, it just seemed to kind of resonate more so than other forms of non-monogamy, especially in the sense that it allows you or you have the ability to kind of build different notions of family. Let's keep going backwards in time. So what led you into the world of kink? Mm. My first boyfriend when I was like 16 used handcuffs and I was like "Ooh, okay this is weird but I like it how do I find other weirdos like me <laughs> so then when I finally moved to Windsor which was a bigger city than where I was living they actually had the kink community mm-hmm. and it was really through being involved within that kink community and realizing oh you can have different play partners for different things and stuff like that that made me realize like non-monogamy was even a thing 
And well, even like within the kink community, you have people who are like, may I hug you? It's like, wait, what? Consent. Consent being so openly talked about and um, a pillar of all forms of communication, right? And the ability to freely discuss like what you're actually interested in sexually or non-sexually in a safe environment just also challenges all of the norms that monogamy has created. Yeah, for sure. My relationship anarchy friends talk about monogamy uh, as being like contractual, you know, but like having a, like if there's a contract that there's this expectation that, you know, you must do certain things for certain people and all that. And in, and it's somewhat there in, in polyamory and stuff a little bit, because there's this, you know, if you're in a relationship with someone, there's the expectation that you're going to, you know, care for them, love them, <laughs> do all that sort of stuff. But what goes into those expectations and is way more open and fluid and changeable. And I think, too, that the relationship escalator can happen within polyamory as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. Relationship Escalator Definition from Urban Dictionary The social expectation that a romantic relationship should automatically follow a set of steps and lead to marriage, parenthood, and homeownership. For example, meet someone, dating, sex, move in together, get married, have kids. And I think, too, that the relationship escalator can happen within polyamory as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's But, but at the same time, at least, there's... A gr- certainly a growing awareness of it and the ability to um, question things is a lot easier when you're not in the mainstream way of doing things, right? Yeah, because you you don't have a playbook to go by. You're not following mm-hmm. an monogamy script. There's freedom to kind of make it and do it however you and those people that you're in a relationship with want to do it. Mm-hmm. It's when you were asking me to kind of like go back into like the kink stuff, it's a bit hard to talk about all of that still. Yeah. I, I, yeah, that was, that was a rough time. It, 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 for like, for you, it's, it's one of those things where like, I, I didn't see how rough it was for you often, but every once in a while, there was like a hint or just, just like a look in your eye or something. And certainly afterwards it was just like, Oh yeah, it's good that you're not in that anymore. Yeah. And it wasn't until afterwards that I said, it wasn't until like, I get, yeah, it wasn't until, so I was in really bad poly. I'm going to give you, give you a bit of backstory. I was in a really uncomfortable, not the most, uh, ethical form of polyamory in that that timeline and it wasn't until leaving those relationships and discovering healthy relationships that I realized how bad it really was so you're involved in a leather family mm-hmm. right and okay so how did that start let's do this chronologically like so you met a guy yeah I was in a relationship with a person who was in a relationship with two leather sirs. Um, yeah. 
and so that it kind of led to that so I was in I was in a relationship with someone who was in another submissive relationship to two dominants that were right so your yeah so your ex was a switch and and you identify as a switch too I do yeah okay and since leaving that relationship I actually identify more with like the dominant side and I'm very, very particular with who I'm submissive to because I, when I was a submissive, in retrospect, it was very much taken advantage of. I had agreed to being in a relationship that was 24-7 dominant submissive. And I went into that agreeing to it. And there were like terms and stuff that were agreed upon and occasionally renegotiated. Um, or rediscussed. But what I struggled with when I left that relationship and being in healthy relationships is like, where did my where did the consent end? And where did the abuse start? And so like that line is really fuzzy. Like I still haven't been able to, to pinpoint where did the consent stop? And where did it become like, kind of just slowly eroded and turn into kind of abuse or like, that kind of stuff because mm-hmm. it's really hard to know abuse is in any relationship is really hard to identify when you're in it, it just okay. happens so slowly over time yeah it's, it's just really like a slow erosion that like you and within kink you don't know where the consent stopped and where how it transitioned yeah yeah i mean if abuse was easy to identify then people would just get out of abusive relationships a lot easier, I think. Yeah. Because I, I think it's because I think it's easy, even for people who are in some like because the the story, especially especially lately, the story about abuse in relationships has been kind of lacking in nuance. In that there's this idea like, oh, abusers are are monsters. And it's kind of like Yes, but <laughs> like, yeah, the, they're monsters, but they're also people. They're they're humans, and so which is why people love them while being abused at the same time, right? Like, so so you don't like you see the good in people, but and then ignore the fact that they're abusing you is a thing that can can happen. Like, I'm I'm lucky that I haven't had that too much in my life, but I've been witness to it, um, in a few different circumstances. And yeah, it, it's, it's a, a rough thing. Yeah. And like, um, when I speak about abuse, I'm not talking about physical abuse in the sense that like I was ever physically hurt. Um, yeah, that's the fascinating most, thing here. Yeah. It was, mine was more the emotional and psychological which is the very insidious one because you can't see it really. Yeah. And like within BDSM, you consent to, I don't know, percussion play or something that's going to hurt you bodily, but you can consent to that. And in this instance, like that consent was never, that was never violated. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in the, in this issue, in this circumstance, like you, like you were in a relationship, this person hit you, but that was because you wanted that person to hit you. Mm Mm-hmm. That, was that wasn't the problem. Yeah, that no. wasn't the problem at all. No, not at all. Which is, which is kind of a fascinating 
a fascinating thing and goes kind of against what is a lot of the the common tropes about this like you know the like, like physical pain and things like that those were to that was totally consenting right entirely something that you wanted but Absolutely. then the, but emotional uh psychological stuff um is I would say something that maybe people um, people shouldn't be able to consent to in any sense, perhaps. Yeah. You know, you know, I don't like, you know, is not something that you can consent to. I think, and is not something that is um, that it, that people uh, want <laughs> at all. Obviously. <laughs> No, I'm, sure that, I'm sure there's some people in the BDSM community who are like, no, I have this fantasy about being emotionally abused, but it's just like, no, that's not. Okay, but if you set specific, if you negotiate specifically around that and it's time contained to the scene, yeah. and it's then not that, really emotionally that creates abused. a whole other different, a different thing than it being like outside of a place scene, outside of consent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, okay, what sort of things led you to recognize that you were in an abusive relationship or was it more just that you you got out of it and upon looking back you saw things i think i knew for a long time while i was in it but it was not healthy and there were people around me that would you know blatantly say that and then i would just you know, shrug it off, be like, well, you don't really understand our dynamics. Like, he's really just a good person, like, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. um, but what really started to change the dynamics is when I left the country, because I now live mm -hmm. in Germany, um, to go to school and kind of doing more, like, rediscovering myself mm -hmm. and relearning about what do I like? What do I don't like? What are my interests and things that had kind of fell to the wayside right. um, while being more within that relationship. And then I think just over time and then entering a new relationship while living in, in Berlin and just being like situations where like threesomes had come up or something like this. Cause we'd be, we were poly and just, I might have like a, you know, I might need to process something. And the mm -hmm. partner that I had would be like, okay, like, let's talk about your feeling. Let's talk about the emotions. And then it'd be like, well, this went a lot differently than it's gone before where, you know, emotions were withheld and there was gaslighting. And I was like, huh, okay, things can be different. All right, cool. This is weird. Yeah. <laughs> so in this case, it wasn't until you experienced a healthy relationship that you knew that the relationship you had been in previously was not, not, like you knew like you had you had inklings but it was confirmed when you were in a healthy relationship and you're like mm -hmm. oh oh like talking about emotions can feel good yeah crazy right <laughs> um and it would be it would just be like a similar situation would arise with my partner in berlin that um where if that same situation would have arose with the person that i was seeing in canada then it was just handled completely different and approached very differently. And I was like, okay, this is what healthy is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's, it's kind of crazy. Just, just seeing, uh, like seeing things done right. 
<laughs> can can really be like, oh, oh wait. I've been going about this the wrong way <laughs> for a while. Yeah. Um, and like because of the interconnectedness within the poly communities in Canada, especially Ontario, especially, um, and within the King communities, when I was in that environment, in that relationship there, it was really hard to talk about it with other people within the community because everybody yeah. is so interconnected that if, I maybe spoke about it, it would then, you know, cause problems for so many other people. And, and that may not be true, but that was my rationale at the time. When I first met Charity, she was at university studying for a career in social work. So things like domestic abuse, that's her expertise. So like I was trained as a social worker within Canada and then worked with women who have substance abuse disorders and all kinds of issues around domestic violence and sexual violence. And then in Berlin, I've studied human rights from a social work perspective and then wrote a thesis on polyamory in Canada. Yeah. So, so you're, you're not just like an expert from having lived it, but this is what you study. This is what you do. Yeah, because I was like, well, if I've got to write a thesis on human rights, I'm going to make it help my people. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, as one of your people. <laughs> Thank you. At the time, I was actively working with women who were experiencing all kinds of abuse. And then I'm in this relationship that was not healthy, but because I was so close to it and so within it that it, it was hard to see the red flags. Yeah. Which gives me so much more empathy now working with people who come from those backgrounds. Because I'm like, I, I do know how hard it is to spot all of these red flags. And when somebody out on the outside is telling you that this person who you love is not healthy for you, you're like, well, no, it's fine. No, no, but I love them. Exactly. I, it's like, I know you love them, but they're not, they're not good for you. It's important to remember that at this time, Charity was working as a social worker in community addiction treatment for women. The people that you were working with were almost certainly having situations that were, at least on the surface, tougher than yours. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, so there were more intersections of of issues like poverty and substance abuse and much more intensive trauma than what I've experienced, and all of those various elements that inter interconnect. When you were in it. Um, you know, working in Sarnia, it would have been easy for you to go, oh, that's, that's the real abuse there. This person who's, you know, being emotionally like used in for financial or what, whatever sort of thing, mm -hmm. you know, and then, you know, and then return home to a thing that was abusive, but didn't look at all like what you were seeing on, you know, at work necessarily. Right. I'm like, really, when you think about it, gaslighting is relatively a recent term that's people are just really starting to kind of understand and use. And that wasn't a term. I didn't know of that term when I was going through these experiences. It was like after, and I learned what that was. And I was like, huh, that was like a daily occurrence <laughs> or frequent, maybe not daily, but definitely frequent. Do the people who are gaslighting, are they necessarily 
doing it like there's definitely intention of some sort there's controllingness but do they know the do they know that they are evil <laughs> is the whole other thing right like like I, like i'm th- like i'm just thinking about like okay you don't want to gaslight people how do how does one avoid doing that while you, you know what i mean like cuz cuz we want to be giving advice to people who are being abused or how to avoid being abused but we should also be telling people how not to abuse people i've really grown a lot since living in berlin and feminism has become very much a part of like my everyday life and that's the way that i experience the world and so for me mm-hmm. gaslighting is a symptom of to- toxic masculinity because the world in my experience i've only ever experienced gaslighting coming from men and so often gaslighting has to do with not wanting to address like feelings or emotions or something or it's coming it's a reaction coming from an emotional place and society's mm-hmm. done a great job of teaching men that they can't talk about their emotions they can't talk about what they're thinking or what they're feeling and so I think gaslighting is a symptom of that. Mm. Yeah. So so we need to... So to educate on not gaslighting. It's more about addressing the underlying root of toxic masculinity and the negative ways in which the patriarchy impacts men as mm. well. Because the yeah, patriarchy yeah. negatively impacts men just as much as it does women, but in a different way. Absolutely. In a more insidious way, where for women yeah. it's very much more like overt. You see it every day. And it's getting in a lot of places, it's getting worse because the patriarchy is trying to revoke many rights that women currently have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think um I I feel like right now we're in Part part of me feels like we're in a backlash, but it could also be uh, more like the flailings of a drowning person. <laughs> you know, I, there, there's a part of me that hopes that we that, like that these are more like last gasps than you, you know what I mean. Like they are. I hope so I hope you're right. I hope it's just the patriarchy drowning, and I think <laughs> the reason why there might be such a backlash is because. There's been such a growth in recent years of women being like, no, we're fucking done. <laughs> like, we're yeah. done with this bullshit. And I think that's, and it's getting easier for women to stand up against the patriarchy as a whole. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that women hate men. It's just that this system has negatively impacted everybody except those who are white and rich. And male for centuries. So, so okay, you talked a lot about your individual relationship with your ex. Um, you were involved in a a family, a leather family. Mm-hmm. There, um, there was how many which, were there? There were wh- two, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There was like eight of us. So a big leather family. Yeah, mostly men. I was the first woman and then another woman came and then another woman came and ironically after leaving the family and there was a period that was really bad for everybody 
within the family after one member died, um, that it all kind of just fell apart. And of the people that I'm so connected to, it is um, one woman who was in more of a relationship with the, the, the dominance, and then another woman who had been in a relationship with myself and um, who mm-hmm. was my dominant at that time. So we had kind of like a yeah. little triad within this yeah. big structure. Yeah. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Like, full disclosure, I was there for a lot of this. Yeah, you were, because you guys were, like, you guys were around all of it, and it was just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was I was perhaps a shitty bystander. I also didn't really talk about it, so. Uh, that's a, another thing about all this, right? Like, it's not always easy to tell when it's when it's happening if you're on the outside, if you don't know all the details. Yeah. Um okay, okay. So you you moved to Berlin. Why? School. School. Yeah. Do you want to tell us say more or is that fine? <laughs> no, I I was working and living in a small rural town in Canada and I was like, you know, I really want to go travel. So I applied to go to school in Toronto, Vancouver and Berlin, and then I got into Berlin and it was actually more cost-effective to move here for two years than to move to Toronto or Vancouver for one year. So I moved here and it's been life-altering. Like it's absolutely changed the way that I view the world and the perspective of the world that I have. And Berlin is its own very special little bubble within Germany because the rest of Germany is not like Berlin. Um, It's very queer friendly. It's very poly. It's very open. You can be however you want to be. You can walk down the street without clothes on if you wanted to, and nobody would bat an eye. Like, yeah, there's a sense of freedom here that I've never, ever experienced anywhere else. That's really cool. <laughs> so, so okay, so when you're in Germany, you then started, up like, kind of a new beginning, right? The 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 theme for this season is going to be beginnings right so that's why we're starting with like so how did you start in poly right but this is then you got a new beginning yeah berlin was like a new a new beginning it was like a new i got to start over like i got to start over here and i built a really beautiful lovely life um because i can't i'd come for school because i just felt really trapped in Canada, I think I felt trapped by my relationship that I was in. And that continued for for like nearly a year while I was living here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think. Yep. I've been here nearly three years now. So time is hazy. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I came to study and I thought I'd be here for a year and a half and then I'd go back to Canada and write my thesis and I did go back to Canada and work on part of my thesis at that year and a half mark. And then I came back. <laughs> I was like, no, Berlin, Berlin is home. Um, because of the queer scene, because of the, the poly here, like I'm involved to an extent with the Berlin international poly group. So there's two primary big poly communities here. One is more just general German speaking. 
And then you have the international group, which is a lot younger, and mostly people there are the ones who speak English within the community. And they both groups kind of intermingle a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, the kink community here is really large as well. There is specifically a kink community for people who identify as female-ish. F-L-W-I-T, I think is the acronym. Something like that. Um, there's... BDSM conferences of all types. Like there's some that are just specific for rope. I go to one called the Easter conference, which is specifically for um, more female identifying people, more queerish people. Um, yeah. So there's, there's mm-hmm. a safe space for everybody here. You just got to find it. And that lacks in Canada. You don't have that sense of safe, the sense of large safety group, like safe spaces that you have here. <laughs> Yeah, we're working on it. Totally, I agree. I I totally agree. In the big cities, as an as an organizer, I feel I feel I must interject and say, "Hey, we're trying." I know, and yeah, I'm not saying that you're not. It's 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 in the big cities. The big cities are working on it. I think hey, rural Canada, hey, as an organizer in a small city. <laughs> okay, but Windsor is big for Canada. I guess, like. Yeah, I don't think of Windsor as necessarily being a big city in Canada. Like, I think Canada has, like, there's the the TMV, and then there's, like, the capitals of the provinces, <laughs> and a few others, and then there's us. See, I'm coming from the perspective of living in Sarnia, which is very homophobic yeah. and racist. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, Wi- so Windsor, Windsor is, is a big Win- city Windsor's compared is, to Sardia. Windsor is a very special little city because Windsor has the diversity of Toronto with a lot smaller population. Um, and, and I think we're very lucky for that. So we don't have the the chaos of Toronto, but we do have the living with everyone, like the the living in a metropolitan feeling place without it having to be a metropolis. <laughs> but yeah. Berlin has a long history, right? Oh yeah. Of this sort of thing. Um you know, for for years now. And y- yeah, it's um really cool. Yeah, <laughs> it goes it goes Tell me more. Like t- tell so, so you were in these communities, right? Um, how did and because you're now in a um, seems to be a really happy relationship, really good one, really healthy. Um, how do you luck out with that? Yeah, my nesting partner. I live with him. Um, I met him within the first couple months of moving to Berlin, and we were at an international munch. So in Canada, or in where am I? I'm in Berlin. So. <laughs> Berlin, the big munches are the International Munch, which is more targeting English speakers. And then you have the Berlin Munch, um, which is more German speakers. And, like, these are every week. Like, there is every week there is a a munch of varying sorts. Every week there's a couple poly meetups of various sorts. There's rope jams. There's bondage jams. There's, like, three or four. There's one good dungeon left open. A couple others have had to close. Oh. Yeah. 
health and safety code reasons and weird German bureaucracy. I don't even know the full story. German bureaucracy closed them down, and anybody listening from Germany will understand what I mean. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's that, not that efficient. <laughs> Yeah, the legendary German bureaucracy. Okay, go on. Um, so yeah, I, I met my nesting partner at a munch. And they were actually going to the munch. He was going to the munch because he was married at the time. And his wife was too nervous, because she's a professor, to go to the munch herself. So she sent him to like go check it out. And so he was there looking for partners for his wife. And then met me. <laughs> And they just started to open up their relationship. So I was kind of the first person that he was in a relationship with when they just opened it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm not, I don't think I knew that, actually, that, that he had, was just opening his relationship at the time. Yeah. Um, so then I lived... A couple blocks away. I lived relatively really close to our Berlin standards. And um, I that was October. And then I had gone to India in March and got really, really sick. And ended up living at their house on the couch for like two months because I was sick to the point where I couldn't take care of myself. Um, oh, dear. Um, don't recommend it for anybody. <laughs> Uh, so I couldn't stay at my vega. Uh, the vega here is kind of like a flat that is shared with like a whole bunch of people to lower, okay. lower costs. Um, so I couldn't live there. So then his wife just assumed that I was never leaving. How did she feel about that? Like that was not a good thing or was like, oh, you're never leaving and that's fine. Somewhere in the middle, I think. Okay. Yeah. So so she's making assumptions about about things. Yeah. I don't At this point at this point you were planning on leaving at some point just when you were when I was healthy. healthy. Yeah, but he was like, Can she move in with us? <laughs> oh, okay. Um and his wife at the time really wasn't a fan of this idea. Um I think their relationship prior to me becoming um involved was already kind of strained. They were having stuff going on anyways. So then, turns out, I was almost homeless. I was kind of had impending homelessness happening because housing is really tricky to get in Berlin, especially if you're a student and you don't have a job and you don't have, like, all of these proper paperworky things. So the contract that I had was, like, four levels of subcontracting. And somebody higher up in the food chain came and was like, hey, um, I want my flat back. You need to move. And I, so they kind of prevented me from being homeless because I couldn't find a new place to live. So I moved into their house. Okay. Um, yikes. I, so, I mean, that's good at least that you weren't homeless, um, but not so great that it, you know, kind of that people's hands were forced a little, I guess. Yeah, I think in retrospect, but, her hand was forced. He was all for it. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, something had to happen. Yeah. Sure. Um, ultimately, uh, okay. like, their relationship ended up breaking down and leading to divorce and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. I, I, would it be safe to say, like, there's 
that idea of, um, you know, oh, we'll open our relationship up and that will fix things. <laughs> Was that a thing that might have been going on a little bit? I think so. And I think if you're going to open your relationship to fix things, that's probably not the way to fix it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what we've, (laughs) that's what we've been saying. Like, this is not a solution to your, to your marital strife. Yep. It's kind of like, don't have children fix your marriage either. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Don't, don't bring other people into your issues necessarily. It's not going to fix your issues. Um, Okay, cool. Um, yeah, but, okay, but, so the, the, they got divorced, which, I mean, rough for them. But, yeah, they're, um, they're still legally married. They're not actually divorced. Oh, oh okay, so they're not divorced yet. Sorry. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I they, they asked for, so, like, they agreed upon a divorce and, like, separated, and she did the whole moving out thing, but they're not legally divorced yet. Okay, That's really but, so tricky separated. and complicated in, in Germany. And the fact that they're not citizens of Germany makes it even more tricky. Germany doesn't oh, okay. like it when you get divorced. Germany doesn't like when you get divorced? Nope. Oh, okay. It's really, really, really expensive. Huh. Could... Uh, this is... It has neither really here nor there, but, like, could they file for divorce in this, like back home and then... But just continue residing in Germany, or that doesn't work? No, they have to prove residency. One of them has to prove residency. That's ridiculous. Anyway. Yep, I agree. <laughs> what is that? Uh, anyway, the... Um... And, like, this kind of goes back to what you were talking about before, where, like, monogamy can kind of become unconsensual in that, like, you marry someone, and you then make it a legally binding thing. And then when you decide that you don't want to be married anymore, you have to ask the state's permission to no longer be in a relationship yeah. kind of takes the consent out of out of the relationship Absolutely. already. Yeah, there's there's some real issues there for sure. You know, in in some sense like I get I get the idea of um like I do get the idea of making sure that uh people with less power in relationships are protected because mm-hmm. that's a thing that divorce can divorce can do right with with um you know support payments and 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 all that sort of stuff like that does kind of make sense but on the other hand <laughs> like the fact that you have to go ask permission basically right to, and this is a situation yeah. where there's no power they've just it's all just a piece of paper now, right? Like yeah. they've, they've they've divided things amicably. It's really just okay. We need the state's approval now to be officially not married. Because mm-hmm. I agree, so marriage it... gives protections. As fucked up as it is, it does give protections that people who are monogamous and who are married have that people who are polyamorous do not and are excluded from. Right, right. That's a question that comes up is, um, like, when it comes to marriage, do we want into that as, like, do polyamorous people want marriage as a thing, like polyamorous marriage, um, or not? Like, I know people who identify with relationship anarchy typically go, no, that's, like, (laughs) marriage is anathema to what I want. 
Like it's not, not at all a thing I want. But on the other hand, do, you know, do we, so do we redefine marriage to, you know, to include multiple people so that we can have those protections or, but, but then we have the, the but you're saying it's polygamy. Of, hmm? the, yeah. Right? Then it, well, exactly. Which the, is the, well, illegal. That's the, that's the other thing that is, that makes it really an uncomfortable conversation is because then, yeah, we have, it's the strange bedfellows thing of, oh, now we're friends with the people of Bountiful. Um, I'm sure that there's some wonderful people in Bountiful, but, <laughs> but you know, that, yeah, we're, we're, but yeah, yeah. But like, I'm not sure I want to be allies with the polygamists right. in and anything. When I was doing my thesis, like, this was kind of the questions I was asking, right? Like, what kind of legal protections do people mm-hmm. who are poly want? And what everybody said, they're like, well, we don't really want marriage because they don't necessarily agree with marriage. They acknowledged that it really sucked that you have to be married to share additional resources with those people or protections. Um, and ultimately kind of what I concluded was it's not that polyamorous people, and I only studied five, five families, so it's really, really limited, right? But they didn't mm-hmm. necessarily want plural marriage. They wanted a way to legally recognize these people as family. Yes. And that which, calls which... for dismantling the whole notion of what is family according to the state. Because according to the state, family is either defined by blood like your next of kin, so your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your children, or Mm -hmm. who you're legally married to. Yeah. Like, it doesn't take into account the people, like, maybe you're, like, maybe you're ostracized from your family because you're, because you're queer, because you're poly, like, you're ostracized from your family because of these, for whatever reasons. For whatever. Right? I'm using those ones as examples because they're common. Yeah. Yeah. And you're ostracized from your biological family or then you've created a family that you've chosen whether that is through polyamory or just through platonic relationships but you know your best friend is your sister like I have my my friends have become my family because I am closer to them than I am my family because I've recently basically been ostracized for some of these reasons right but the the law does not allow me to define them as family very easily. Yeah, that's that's something I haven't I haven't asked you. Like how how does your family feel about your current situation? Because your family was like you were connected with your family throughout the time that you were in Canada in a abusive BDSM relationship, but they just probably didn't know too much about the BDSM side. Yeah, they didn't know anything. They knew things were strange. They didn't, and it wasn't normal but um yeah i think it's more been as i've grown as a human and grown within like understanding feminism and really starting to internalize and and feel very like queer or kind of like feel these things um my dad actually asked me he's like can i read your thesis and i was like yeah fine here you go here it is and he, he messaged me one day and just kind of basically went on a tirade about how I've wasted my education, how he doesn't understand why snowmen have to be called snow people, and said that people who are gay or lesbian are just awful and like just went on like a very homophobic, like patriarchal rant. And I was just like, you know, you know, we're, we're done. 
<laughs> like, I'm, I don't need to take this, this, like, verbal and emotional abuse. You know? Just, just to be clear, your thesis wasn't on how snowmen should be called snow people. No. But he went on to this rant as in, like, well, why would we call it snow people? It's a snowman. And I'm like, well, there's half the world is not a man. So by snow person, it is more inclusive of half of the world. <laughs> but he was using it to make a, make a point, you know? I didn't know that that's, um, I didn't know that's a thing that you're going through. That, that sucks. Yeah. There's a lot. There's been lots of layers of stuff lately. And like last year when I was in Canada too, um, I really realized how unhealthy my family is for me for similar reasons as my unhealthy previous domestic relationship. Right. There's lots of gaslighting and manipulation within my family of origin. Mm -hmm. And now I'm just like, not taking it you know yeah yeah that okay this is starting to make more sense to me because for you you would say things like oh canada's not healthy for me and i'd be like but canada it's you know this great place where i live and i love it and everything and but yeah for you right it's not just that you had this one bad relationship it's that you had like your relationship with your family is not great and all these other things. And, and it, it's a lot easier to start over in an entirely new place, even if that place has bureaucracy that's worse than ours. Like your house is my safe space when I come to Canada. Like your house is where I feel like yeah. the most safe and the most accepted. Mm -hmm. I'm, gl I'm glad that we can be that yeah. for you. And it's yeah. nice knowing that like I have that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you do every, all the time. So how are things now? So you're with a wonderful person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My nesting partner is fantastic. Um, I have another, hmm, we've never really defined it. We have a, we have a very special, I have a very special friendship with another person in Berlin. Um, and they're really wonderful and supportive. Um, and then I have another relationship that is, she's further away. Um, and I actually met her through this big um, Easter conference. Her her tag said puppy. And I was like, really excited. I'm like, are you a puppy? It's like, yeah. I'm like, I love puppies. <laughs> and and we've had yeah, uh... a special relationship since then. Cool. Yeah, the uh, life is really good. good I live stuff. in a very positive, healthy environment that is poly and wonderful and queer. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so thank you so much for coming on This Polyamorous Life. Um, last thing that uh, I, we're going to do is uh, I've been asking people to select uh, polyamorous or, or non-monogamous related song or uh, other media to uh, introduce to our listeners. So have you picked something? I mean, it's not really poly related, but I've been reading, I read a lot of books these days. Um, okay. The last book that I read that I really loved that I think everybody should read is Living a Feminist Life by Sarah Ahmed, I believe is her name. And okay. I've been reading Judith Butler's Bodies That Matter, but I read it from a perspective of how does this apply to polyamory? Okay. Um, <laughs> Maybe you need to create like a, a polyamory reading guide of like how to read these books. 
for the the Judith Butler book is really philosophy based. So unless you like philosophy, it's kind of hard to read. Um, Well, philosophy is great. There's a really cool comic book. It's it's set up as a comic book, and I think it's like a graphic novel about queer theory, something like this. It's really neat. It's very it's it's queer theory in a very accessible way. Yeah, do you remember what it's called? I will. Uh, I'll send it to you. Okay. I'll, yeah, I'll and find we'll it put it because because I remember reading that you you had that with you when you last visited us, and that one was awesome. I I loved reading that. Uh, but yeah, I don't remember its title or its author either. Um, but we will we'll find out, and it'll be in the show notes. And I'll, t- I'll listeners, I will tell you in like one, two, three, right now. The book's name is Queer, A Graphic History by Meg John Barker and Julia Scheel. There, I just told you. Okay. (laughs) And as for music, like I listen to a lot of techno, which doesn't really have to do with talk about poly or anything. It just just gets you going. But but maybe it does because there's just no lyrics. So maybe it's all about polyamory. There you go. I mean, it's all about finding love and connection in the club. So... However many yeah, people you yeah. want to love and connect to, I guess techno could be your thing. <laughs> cool, cool. So send me your your a techno song that you're currently uh, into, and I'll put a link up as well. All right. Actually, I might just send you a playlist via Spotify. That'll just sum it up. Sure, sure, we could do that. We'll 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 put up links and stuff. All right. Well, thanks so much again, Charity, and uh, happy catching up with yeah. you. You've been listening to This Polyamorous Life, sponsored by Windsor Polyamory. Please like, rate, and review the show at whatever places you normally do that sort of thing. This show was put together by me, Reg Robson, with some editing help from Aaron Christmas. A big thanks to Charity for coming on the show this week. I'll be back with another conversation for you in seven days. To help support the show financially, go to patreon.com slash thispolyamorouslife. We are preparing for the Windsor Pride Fest Parade. I'm here at the corner of Ottawa and Argyle in Windsor, Ontario. And we are with Windsor Polyamory. And we're going to have an awful lot of fun in this parade. What do you find valuable about Windsor Polyamory? It's a relaxed group of people who are enjoying each other's company and happen to have something in common. The thing that I love about Windsor Polyamory from the start, the first event that I came to, people are warm, welcoming, open, and accepting, and fun. Um, I think the entire Windsor Polyamory community is very dedicated to an authentic expression of self and to growing and learning more about each other in the world, and I think that's really valuable. Find Windsor Polyamory at windsorpolyamory.wordpress.com.